We are going to uh, spend some time uh, exploring. Well, we, we've had a first of all, we've had a, a brilliant weekend. Um, I've just come from our, our Alder Road um, congregation, and it was brilliant to be together as two congregations um, away in the New Forest. Um, it was fantastic to have God speaking to us, um, to enjoy time together, um, to uh, for those who are. Um, hardy or crazy enough to camp overnight and, uh, and, and brave that. It's just wonderful to uh, have time together and to um, enjoy tug of war um, as well. And uh, there'll be opportunity for those rivalries to be renewed um, at another juncture. And uh, also, just brilliant to be up uh, um, all the way. We'll be baptizing um, Laura, who's just um, finishing finished her, her A-levels. It's fantastic to see um, new life. Um, being birthed amongst us. And, um, and this morning, I, I, want, I want to start by saying that there, there's recognized, I don't know if it's scientific or not, there's recognized two different types of people. Um, the type over here like to leave an abundance of time. Say if you're going somewhere, then you um, make sure that there's a whole heap of time in case anything goes wrong, in case there's anything unforeseen, then there's, there's one group of people over here. Um, the other group of people um, are those who like to cut it fine um, as much as possible. And they like to kind of shave, only get there with, with seconds to spare, or actually if they don't get there on time, it, it doesn't really matter. And generally the rule is, um, if um, someone's looking at, uh, at getting married, is that you need to have one person from each camp um, in the marriage, um, just to keep things interesting, really. Um, and so this, particularly if, like, if you're going on holiday or catching a plane somewhere, you have the people in this camp who want to get there even before the check-in staff have arrived, so that you have a couple of hours um, in the airport just in case anything happens that you're, you're safe. Um, and the people over here want to get there just as the check-in's closing, um, because you feel that you haven't wasted any seconds in the airport. You can get checked in straight on the plane, and um, you're off. Now, I'm not saying that one is better than the other, um, but I'm definitely firmly in this camp. I like the pr having more time. Yes, there we go. <laughs> so the people in, in this camp will be, will be with me when um, just the kind of there's something in your heart that, that there's a little bit of, of fear when the petrol light in your car comes on. Because people in, in this camp will be like, petrol light is on, we need to go and get fuel. That, that, that's what it says. For people in this camp, it's like, it's just a light. It doesn't really matter. We've got loads of time. It, 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 it makes life just a little bit more exciting. Like, oh, we may run out of petrol, um, we may not. So the people over here will appreciate that light came on. And now, which is good for people like me, it tells you how long you have left until you, you fill up. So although the light is on, it says you have 37 miles left. And you think, oh, that's OK, we have 37 miles. But in the space of a minute, it went from 37 miles to 25 miles to 17 miles. And so you know what you do in that situation is you, you turn off all the, um, the air ventilation, air conditioning, you turn off the radio, you make sure no one breathes in the car, just to try and save a fuel. And then you start praying, and you think, 
Is it, is it okay? Is it okay to pray that we have more fuel to get to the, uh, the petrol station in time? You'd be glad to know that we did, and we, we, kept, we conserved enough fuel to get to the petrol station. But this question that I'd like us to ask this morning is, that, is it okay to ask for more? Is it okay to, to pray for, for, for more petrol in that situation? As If you're a Christian here today, does that mean that we should be content with what we have? Do we think, actually, God has given us so much. He's given us his son. We, we shouldn't ask for anything more. We are to be content with what we have. But what we've been seeing over uh, this weekend is that God has more. That God has more for us. And that we are to be those who are desperately seeking a God who loves to provide. And that's what I want us to be looking at this morning. And if I were to ask you, if you could ask for more... I wonder what it would be. If you could ask for more, would it, would it be more money? Would it be more friends? Would it be more success at work or school or college or parenting? If you could have anything, would it be maybe more time? How, many, how often do we say, if only you have maybe just another hour in the day or another day in the week? Or more holidays? Well, this year we've been exploring how we can expect more, and how God loves to give us more. And as a church, we are to be expecting more. What things should we be looking for as as a church? What's on our hearts to be praying for? More people coming to know Jesus. More people being baptized and declaring that they trust Jesus and they're going to live for him. More compassion being displayed to those in need. More community being built, like over the course of of this weekend. More freedom experienced, more lives transformed, more healing, or or maybe more provision, like we're taking an offering up today, so that we can continue to have our our buildings and facilities improved, so we can have our, our mission advanced. Do we have these things in our hearts that we are praying for? And how does this happen? Well, what I'd love us to do this morning is to spend some time in 2 Kings um, chapter 4. This is page 370 in, in these Bibles, if you, you grab one. And this is a story that when I'm praying for the church and praying for what God has for us, I, I, regularly comes back, I regularly come back to and it stirs faith in me. This is the story of Elisha and a widow. Um, Elisha uh, was a... A prophet in the ninth century in the northern kingdom of Israel. He was the leader of a group of prophets. And one of these prophets in, in this group had died while still owing money. And in this culture, if the family couldn't pay debts, some or all would work as servants of the creditor. So let's have a look at and see what happens. Page 370, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars 
and as each is filled, put it to one side. Then she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. Then he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for all that you've done over the course of this weekend. We thank you for all that's in store for us as a church. We thank you that you love to speak to us, and I pray that you would be stirring faith here this morning as we hear your word. Let's be those that hear and respond. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we explore this story and look at how we are to be expecting more, I want us to see that there are three things that we are to be and three things that we are to do. Firstly, we are to be desperate. We're to be desperate. When we look at this story and read it through, and if we want to expect and see more, we need to be those who are desperate. And I think none of us would really choose to be in a desperate situation given the choice. But we know that often it's in the toughest times that we will grow the most. Here, the widow cries out to Elisha in desperation. This is not a a polite, reserved response. She's desperate, and so she's not going to be silent about it. She's in debt. Her two sons are about to be taken away from her and go into slavery. Not only would she lose her two sons, having just lost her husband, but there'll be no means of a future income. There'll be no one to work the land. In this culture, she was caught in that downward spiral with no means of escape. She was desperate. If we want to see God move in power, we need to come to him in desperation, not sink into despair. It might be this morning that you're finding yourself in in circumstances which are desperate, like the widow here. It might be finances are really tight. It might be health is a challenge, or maybe a a family situation is really causing stress. It might be a a relationship or, or work, or it might be a combination of all of them. It feels like everything is pressing in on you today, and you are in a desperate situation. And actually, we can find this harder if we've been trying to follow God. We've seen that, <clears throat> that first verse. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. He'd been following after God. He was one of the prophets. He was one who was hearing God and speaking his word out to the people. How can bad things happen in a situation like this? This statement is left hanging in the air. You know that he revered the Lord. Questions raised. Is God in control? Is he sovereign? Does he even care? You may be asking these questions today. And you know, it's okay to be asking these questions. But the question is, where where do we go? Where do we go when we are feeling these things? Scripture, and particularly the Psalms, are full of honest cries to God. And they're not always full of faith. For instance, Psalm 88 ends with, 
You have taken me from friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And then if you know the Psalms, you're, you're usually waking, waiting for the phrase that says, and yet I will praise the Lord. Because time after time, it, it, it says that. There's a desperate situation. I'm feeling this, and yet I'm going to praise the Lord. But Psalm 88 doesn't say this. It just ends with, darkness is my closest friend. From this, we see that God wants us to honestly express how we feel, rather than quietly suppress our pain and our troubles. God is big enough to take our desperation, and we need to be free to tell him. A songwriter and pastor, Tim Hughes, says, there has to be a place for expressing pain in our churches. We need a bigger picture of what worship is. Questioning God doesn't mean disobeying him. Expressing doubt doesn't mean that we are lacking faith. Expressing anger and pain to God is a beautiful and intimate act. In our everyday lives, the people that we are most likely to share our deepest fears and hurts with are those we love and trust the most. True intimacy can be experienced when we choose to share honestly and vulnerably. As an invitation this morning, we are to come to God with honesty and vulnerability. He is to be one that we love and trust the most. And so, if we are desperate, we are to go to him. So that may be you today. <clears throat> On the other hand, you may think, actually, life is pretty good at the moment. It's fairly comfortable. There's nothing really going wrong. Life is, is, is going well. Sometimes we need to be provoked because we are too comfortable. We never do want to be in that desperate situation, but there are times when desperation is actually good for us because it means we are forced to totally depend on God. We are forced to think, where is my hope truly? When, when things are going well, it can be easy to think, oh, I don't really need, need God. We, we'd, we'd rarely say that out loud, but that can be functionally how we live. If life is plain sailing, then we can live with the illusion that, that we don't need God. We know that if you want to get fitter, you need to work out harder. There's not a shortcut to it. Over the weekend, there's been a, a number of references to, to parkrun. This seems where God's favor is at the moment. Um, and so if you want to get your parkrun time quicker, there's no shortcut. You, you have to work hard. You need to go through the pain. Talking to someone saying, okay, I want to get my parkrun time quicker. They said, well, you need to either do interval training or you need to go for longer runs. And you think, Really? Do I, have, do I have to do that? But actually, if we want to get your park run time down, or if you want to press on more into what God has for us, we need to be prepared to, to work hard. Everything that is worthwhile takes time, it takes effort. I wonder if this morning God is provoking you. Because actually, desperation is our default state. Desperation is our default state. The truth is everyone here is in a desperate situation without God. Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul tells us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Apart from life in Jesus Christ, we have no hope. None of us by ourselves can stand confidently before the holy God. It's only through trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior that we can know life. Jesus knew our, our situation and he chose to give his life for us. The only one who lived free from sin gave his life for us in this incredible exchange. 
He takes our sin and we gain his righteousness. Desperation is our default state apart from Christ. And if we want God to move, actually we need to get more desperate and not less. We need to be provoked about our own situation and the situation of those around us. For our eyes to be opened to those in need, those who are isolated, those who are oppressed. My first encouragement then is that we need to be desperate, our own situation apart from Christ, at the need of God to work in the community around us so that we can see more of what God has for us. <clears throat> Secondly, we are to be all in. We're to be all in. Having laid out the desperateness of the situation, Elisha asks the widow a question. She says, how can I help you? How can I help you? And you look at this and think, isn't, isn't it obvious? Why ask this question? The woman has, has, has no money. She's in debt. He says, how can I help you? She needs money. Well, it reminds us of the encounter Jesus has with a man called Blind Bartimaeus. Now, none of us here have actually met Blind Bartimaeus, but we all know what his main problem is. It doesn't take a lot to, to work that out. That's, that, that's who he is. He was known as Blind Bartimaeus. He sat on the side of the road shouting out to Jesus, have mercy on me. Now, everyone knows what his problem is, but what is the question that Jesus comes and asks? He comes and asks, what do you want? What, why would he do that? If he's trying to build a reputation, reputation as a, a wise teacher, why ask this question? Well, if Jesus knows our need, we can think, why, why do we need to come before him and, and ask as well? It's because Jesus wants us to talk to him. Imagine a relationship where you never talk about what's going on. You never say that, yeah, I had a great weekend, but camping in the field... I really had like probably one or two hours sleep. Imagine a, a relationship where you actually share none of those things, some of your, your joys, your, your challenges. That's not really a relationship, is it? Jesus draws Bartimaeus out, and he, he draws us out as well. He wants us to ask, because it's, it's relational. <clears throat> Jesus wants us to meet and to know him. It's also vulnerable. It means that we are omitting our needs and expressing our faith in trust, saying that we need help. And that it's intentional. He wants us to express our needs and seek God, saying, this is what I want. So God draws us in on relationships so that we can be all in. It's as we know more of who God is, as we know more of what he's like, that we have become more and more confident to be all in. When we walk in relationship with him, when we see his faithfulness, we are happier to commit. So then this leads to Elisha's next question, which is, what do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? Now, Elisha's not asking about the state of her furnishing and the color scheme that she, ha she has. And the widow doesn't think this is relevant. She said, I've got nothing, nothing. You know that I have no money. And she said, oh, I have a small jar of olive oil. She doesn't think that she has anything worth giving. Whereas what good is a small jar of olive oil compared to the massive debt that she has? What good is a one pound coin when you owe five million pounds? You think it's nothing. What's even the point in mentioning it? 
Well, actually, there's more point than you'd think. Because what's important is not what we bring, but whose purpose we devote it to. What's important is not what we bring, but whose purpose we devote it to. Think of the boy who gave his pat lunch to Jesus, and it fed over 5,000 people. Today, we're not to think that God isn't interested in us. It can be easy to discount ourselves and think God doesn't care about little old me with the billions of people that there are in this earth. There are many people more impressive and more significant. And it's easy also to think that God doesn't want to use us to, to do more. I think I only have a small jar of, of olive oil. It's, it's, it's really nothing. Instead, <clears throat> the call is for us to go all in. Jesus calls for complete surrender. The widow could have, have hedged her bets and said, I actually only have half a jar of, of olive oil and then kept the other half for, for herself just to, as, as a backup policy. But no, she says, I have one jar of, of olive oil. She goes all in. And just, just a way to, to do the same, we're to go all in, recognizing that everything comes from God in the first place. God has called us to be the stewards of what we have, whether it be abilities or strengths or finances or resources or character traits. It's different uh, for each one across the room. And what is important is not what we have in comparison to others. What's important is what we do with what God has given us. Are we going to go all in? Are we going to be faithful with what God has given us? And this is a question as much of, of our hearts of, as what we have, although how we use what we have is an indication of what is in our hearts. So today, have you surrendered your life to God? Have you given everything? Even if you don't think it as much, have you given everything to him, or are you keeping some back? God loves to include us in his purposes, but he wants us to bring our small jar of olive oil. He wants us to bring our lives in complete surrender. The third thing uh, we see that we're to be is to be in community. Verse 3, Elisha said, Go round and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. When God calls us to more, he wants us to do it together. God calls for himself a people. The church is, is likened to a body with each one playing their part. And so... This, we can see these jars from the different neighbours, and you, each one of us can be bringing our jar into making church life work. We heard earlier of how we're looking for people to re-sign up and say, yes, I'm in to serve on Sunday mornings uh, for the coming year. And it, it may be that on your jar, it has technical ability. And so we can put you to work uh, on the PA and the computers, and, and you can fulfill, use your gifts there. Another, jar, uh, another one might have a, a jar saying you're excellent, uh, making people feel welcome. So we can deploy you in, in the Connect team. Your jar might say that you love pointing children to Jesus. And so the kids team will be brilliant for you. We don't need to be good at everything, but we do need to be good at going together. That's why God's put us together with different gifts, different strengths. And when we go and do life in community, we get to see more. In community, we get to go further, we get to do more than we could by ourselves. 
we go in faith together, like the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea or seeing the walls of Jericho coming down. This is an adventure of faith that we go on together. It's important that we actually not to be afraid also of, of asking other people for help. You think of the, the woman going to her neighbors and, and say, I need your help. Can I, can I have uh, a, a jar, please? And it can be hard for us at times to say that we need help. We can actually be um, happier offering help to others, but then we, when we need to have that, be in that place of, of vulnerability and humility, then it can be a lot harder. But for us to be in genuine community, we need to be willing to make the ask of other people. So if we want to expect God for more, we need to be desperate, be all in, and be in community. Now let's look at uh, three things that we are to do if we want to see God um, move in greater power and to see the more that he has for us. So the first thing we need to do is to, is to step out. And um, it, can, it can feel a bit like this, can't it, sometimes? When God asks us to, to step out, it feels so daunting. How on earth can we do this? And picture the scene for uh, the woman. that She's there with her sons. They've got the oil. They've got the jars. They've shut the door, as Elisha's told them to. And they look at one another. I think, right, now we're going to have to do this. And so they pick up a small jug and start pouring. And it's going to stop any second, any second, that, because it's just a small jar. There's no way that it can fill, let alone one jar, but all of the jars that we've gathered. But it keeps going and going and going until all the jars are filled. Just think about what that would have been like. And this, this isn't a, a magic trick. A, a few weeks ago, we were watching Britain's Got Talent and seeing all the amazing um, magic tricks that they were doing. And as you're watching, think, I know this is a trick, and you're wondering how they do it. But this, this, this isn't. This is God's power and grace displayed. This isn't a magic trick. But it took for her to step out and start pouring for the miracle to occur. What is, what is a miracle? Well, Wayne Grudem gives this definition in Systematic Theology. He says, a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. I love this, this definition. Notice it's a less common kind of God's activity because God is at work all the time. God's at work in sustaining us. God is at work in our lives. We're to know that God is actively involved in each and every moment. But there are times when we see his activity that arouses people's awe and wonder. Is their awe and wonder. And it usually takes stepping out in faith. Do miracles still happen today? Well, I know there are many stories across this room of, of God providing and, and working in miraculous ways. I just want to highlight one actually from the 19th century uh, that a number of us will be familiar with, a guy called George Muller. But it, it, it depicts just how we can trust God for more, step out in faith, and see um, more than we'd ask or imagine. Well, George Muller, if you haven't heard of him before, he started 117 schools. He cared for over 10,000 orphans. He educated 120,000 children. But he, he never publicly prayed and, and made his needs known. Uh, sorry, he never publicly made his needs known. He just prayed and trusted God for more. In today's money, he raised more than 90 million pounds. Through prayer, he trusted God for more, and God provided the equivalent of 90 million pounds. Here's one example of, of what he saw. 
On one occasion, he stood before 300 hungry orphans gathered for breakfast. Um, if you're a parent, you might know something of that, of your, your kids there, hungry, cranky. There are 300 orphans gathered there. George Miller know, knew that there was nothing in the kitchen, no food to eat. He said grace, thanking God in faith for the food that you are going to give us to eat. Suddenly there was a banging at the door and the local baker entered, carrying three huge trays of fresh, fresh bread, explaining that he'd been up since two o'clock that morning baking for them. And then the milkman appeared, announcing that his car had broken down outside and wondering if they could use his load of fresh milk. George Miller trusted God to provide more. He did, with no prior knowledge. The baker and the milkman turn up. God loves to provide. But key for us is to step out in faith. Hear his voice and respond. The way to see God move more is to step out more. How do we see people come to know Jesus? Step out and tell more people about Jesus. How do we see more people healed? Step out and pray for more people. How do we see God provide in more situations? Step out and trust him more. We're to step out. The second thing we're to do is to pray big prayers. Back in, in verse 6, it says, When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. Um, and then the oil, sorry, uh, but he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. When all the jars were full, the oil stopped flowing. It seems that the oil was limited by the number of jars. And to repurpose that illustration of, of jars a bit, I think the jars are, are similar to the prayers that we pray. Often what God does is limited to the, the, the prayers that we are, we are praying. How many jars are we laying out in prayer? Jesus encourages us in John chapter 14, verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. How many of us have heard that and thought, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I think, really? Anything? And the thought goes to your mind, like a Ferrari? Is, is, that, is that okay to ask for? Well, it isn't a magic formula, you think, in Jesus' name, on the end, and you get anything that you want. It needs to be in line with, with his will and for his glory. But our eyes need to be open. Our sights need to be lifted about what is possible in God. These prayers are fueled by the Holy Spirit, and we're caught up in relationship with God by the Holy Spirit that helps us to pray, to cry out. So what are the big prayers that we are praying today? What are we asking God for? What are we seeking him for? How many jars are we laying out before him? We don't need to come with complicated prayers. We simply ask. We need to be real about the situations that we're in, the things that we love to see. And as we're drawn on in relationship, to come before him and, and ask to pray big prayers, to keep being persistent time after time after time. Are our prayers big enough? And just one thing to mention, notice that the, the oil stopped flowing. It may be that you go through seasons of, of, of seeing God answer prayers exactly how you want them to be answered. It's amazing when that happens. But God doesn't always do that. God always answers prayers, but he doesn't always do it the way that we expect. And sometimes it can feel like the oil has stopped flowing. We feel, well, what's going on? God, I thought you were answering my prayers, but now it's stopped. 
What do we do then? Well, then we go back to that place of, of desperation and desperately seeking God, calling on him. Finally, I want us to see <clears throat> that we are to trust God's abundance. The last thing we're to do is to trust God's abundance. The woman take all these huge jars of, of oil and just imagine what that would have been like to see this provision come through. She can now pay off her debts and live on what was left. God abundantly provides for this woman and her family in response to her desperate cry. So just so I close, I'd love us just to turn to the New Testament to Philippians chapter 4. So again, if you've got one of these Bibles, we're on page um, 1,181. 1,181. And we're going to Look at just one verse that Paul says here. It's a great promise for us to hold on to. Philippians 4, verse 19. It says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It says here, My God shows this personal relationship that we've been, we've been exploring. God reveals himself as the perfect father who loves to give. We don't need to be worried coming before God. He is for us, which are know God and, and personally, know God personally and follow him. And then it says, he will meet, or he will supply. He will provide generously. We're to know that God will meet all that we need. Not wants, but needs including the material ones. Not what we think we need, but God knows exactly the things that we need for each and every day. And notice, what's it it according to? Is it according to to what he feels like? Is it according to um, uh, what kind of week we've had? No, it says according to the riches of his glory. He gives in a manner which befits his wealth. And so our eyes are to be lifted today at the vast riches that, that God has so if, after today, you had a choice, you're going to go out shopping, you can go to any shop, and you can buy anything you want, and you have a choice between, um, I'll take you shopping, or um, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, who's worth, let me get this right, 131 billion pounds, you can choose who you'd like to take you shopping. I'll let you think about that. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Because you look at the resources that I have, and you look at the resources that Jeff has, and you think, wow, he's got 131 billion. I'm going to choose him every day of the week. We're to know that God has far more riches than we could ask or imagine. And so when we come to him, when we expect more of him, it's not that God is giving out of a small amount. He's giving out of his abundance, and he loves to give. And he loves to give in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the source of our hope and our certainty. Without Jesus, we are in a desperate situation. And because of his incredible love for us, he came, gave his life for us, so that we can know the goodness of salvation today and forever, knowing that he will provide for those who desperately seek him. And the more that we know him, the more we are able to ask. And to know that Jesus came so that we may have life and life to the full. So let's have confidence today that God is in full control from beginning to end. He loves to do us good. And we can expect that God is going to do much more in and through us 
today, but also we just know that we have an eternal future hope. It says in Revelation 21 that God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their gods. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. God has all power, all authority. He's able to provide for us for all eternity. Let's have confidence to come before him and let's be stirred and provoked to be desperate before him so that he may be glorified in our lives and in the church. Let's stand together and respond in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the truth that you give more grace. We thank you that we stand here confident in you, that you love to abundantly provide. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would be provoking us, enabling us to turn to you in the midst of our situation, whether we are in, in desperation or whether we are in comfort. Lord, I pray that we would be provoked today to go in whatever situation we are to you. And that faith would rise so we'd see that there's more in you, more for you to do in our lives, more for you to do through us. And we thank you that you give generously, not according to the things that we have done, but we have riches in Christ Jesus. So that we entrust ourselves to you and seek to follow after you wholeheartedly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.